You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary South. We exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission by seeing the lost redeemed, the redeemed matured, and the matured multiplied for the glory of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarysouth.com. I want you to grab your Bibles this morning and, uh, and open up to the book of 1 John. Uh, if you don't have a Bible here this morning with you, we have plenty. We would love to give one to you so that you can use it. Just put your hand up. Ushers would bring one to you. Uh, if you do not have a Bible at home, we want you to have that. And so if, if you don't have one, take that as our gift to you. Uh, if we'll keep on buying more Bibles as long as you take them and, and read them and come to know the living God through the scriptures. So again, welcome to church. We are going through uh, the book of 1 John. We have been doing that for a few months um, already, and uh, we've been really kind of theming this whole time together through this book under the realm of authentic, uh, that it is about authentic faith that that John uh, is talking about. It is about authentic uh, faith and assurance. The title of my sermon here this morning from 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to 6, the title is Authentic Discernment. Authentic Discernment. Now, let me ask you before we read the text together about how important discernment is when it comes to your faith. How important is discernment when it comes to authentic faith? As discernment is the practice of making a judgment call as to what is true and, and what is false, how active are we to be as Christians when it comes to discerning what is true and, and what is false? When it comes to discerning between true teachers and, and false teachers, when it comes to discerning between the true gospel and the false gospel, how important is that? Well, as we know that the theme of John's letter here is all about authenticity and assurance, we know by studying this letter over the past few months that there is a behind-the-scenes reason that John is so lovingly and urgently writing this letter to his church. And that was because there was some very recent issues within that church. There was a recent schism or split in the church, and that that split was due to the propagation of false teaching that was brought on by false prophets or false teachers within the church who were espousing a false gospel. And so as the church was experiencing the fallout and the confusion of all of this, as these false teachers did their false work and then had since left them, they left damage behind in their wake. As they moved on, they there was this left this wounded, scarred, and apprehensive church. It was a church that was discouraged a church that was lacking confidence as to what was true and what was right. It was a church faced with cleaning up the mess that was left behind, that that this church would rise up again from the ashes again as God's authentic church. And so all throughout this book, we've been watching John uh, running this church through a series of tests regarding authentic faith. He's been giving them doctrinal tests about what they need to believe. He's been giving them moral tests about how they should live, and he's been giving them social tests about how they should be loving one another. But even with all of that, the church was likely still pretty skittish when it came to trusting new leadership. They were probably quite nervous when it came to the next one who would come along who would claim to be speaking for God. 
When those last ones come along, they prove themselves to be so disingenuine and so counterfeit and so dangerous. Just imagine the apprehension they must have had. Now, when we think about our own lives as well, some of us here may have experienced some of that as well. Maybe you've experienced the fallout of a church that has let you down. Maybe you've walked through a church that has experienced battles within. Maybe you've experienced a fractured fellowship. Maybe spiritual leadership has proven themselves in your past to be counterfeit in either their teaching or their character. And maybe you've come out of that false teaching or or a false gospel church, and maybe it's just wreaked havoc on your life. And maybe as you've walked through some of that, your faith has been shaken, and you find yourself now not being too quickly to jump into the next church. Maybe you're pretty reserved uh, when it comes to trusting new leadership. Maybe you've been hurt and scarred in your past, and maybe it's even made you somewhat cynical and skeptic. And maybe like John's church, you're wondering to yourself, how can I trust this church? How can I trust these leaders? How am I to know whether or not this place is right for me? How do I know it's the right spiritual leadership and the right gospel? Well, as John knows the challenge that his church was facing, and as the Holy Spirit knows the challenge that we face as well, so John steps in here in chapter 4, 1 to 6. He steps in to give some vital spiritual tools to be used for authentic discernment. And those spiritual tools come in the form of three tests, three vital tests that are going to help us to discern between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So let's have a look at the scripture. For some reason, my Bible's open to the gospel of Luke. But we are in 1 John 4, 1 to 6, and John writes, Beloved, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come before you as as those who you have called out of the darkness into your marvelous light. Those who you have freed from the prison of our own sin, and you have freed us to live and to worship and to love your Son, Jesus Christ. And so as we gather in his name here this morning, as we gather filled by your spirit, as we have your holy word open before us, again, we ask you to speak. We ask ask you to speak to us as you always do through your word. And in speaking, we ask that you you would also transform our hearts, that you would give us eyes to see the glory of Jesus Christ, that we would be changed because of seeing his glory and how that applies to our lives. As we are a church who wants to be healthy, a church that wants to be authentic, We pray that you would use these three tests here today in the scriptures to further equip us 
to discern between the spirit of error and the spirit of truth. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So friends, if you want a church, if you want your faith to be free from spiritual error and counterfeit teaching, as John instructs his church here, we also need to be authentically discerning. As John just finished in the last text from last week, speaking about the preserving and persevering assurance that has been divinely gifted to us by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit from last week in chapter 3, as he was speaking about the Holy Spirit in verse 4 now, or or sorry, in chapter 4 now, he says in verse 1, he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. And test the spirits, why? To see whether they are from God. To which he then further clarifies here, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. And so we see right away here that there is an urgency to what John is instructing his his people, an urgency that as much as God's people have the securing and assuring agency of the Holy Spirit within them, that there is an urgency to be on guard. There is an urgency to be discerning. There's an urgency to not so readily believe every spirit, every prophet, every teacher, but rather that they are to test them in order to see what? To see whether or not they are from God or that they may be from the world. And all of this comes down to the crucial reason, as John says, because many false prophets have gone into, have gone out into the world, right? So he's saying this is not just a few This is not just a couple. This is many false prophets have gone out there. And so this testing he's putting forth here is going to be crucial to the health of their faith, crucial for the health of the church for the days to come. And friends, as much as this church was facing the, the dilemma of many false prophets, spirits, and teachers back then, so too we face that challenge today. We face the challenge that there are many and many more to come, false teachers, false gospels, false movements. There's lots of them out there, even movements, which is even within the larger context of what is considered the big evangelical tent, that there are are big voices, there is big influence out there who are, in fact, false prophets, who are false teachers, false movements, false churches. And as John would say, they are the ones who are of the Antichrist spirit, against Christ. As John already touched on in chapter 2, if you remember chapter 2, verse 18, he said, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. That as John's church back then, and even more so in, in our life today, Friends, we are living in the last hour. We are living in the last days. And as John says, many antichrists have gone out. So many false prophets have gone out into the world. There are so many who are full of spiritual error, many who teach a counterfeit gospel, and many who threaten to infect and destroy the true church. Jesus himself warned us about this. In Matthew 24, 24, Jesus said, 
For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect, even the church. And therefore, what John is equipping us for is extremely important. It's crucial precisely because false teaching is so dangerous. It's so dangerous to the spiritual health of you and me. And so what he's, what he's doing here is teaching that this is not something to be tolerated. No, we need to be on guard. We need to be watching out. So we don't believe every spirit, but we test the spirits. As John MacArthur says, he says, that when it comes to tolerance, tolerance toward people is a good and biblical virtue, but tolerance toward false teaching is a sin. We're not free to tolerate that. We have to test every spirit, not just some, but every spirit, to see whether they are truly from God. And so as we're going to see these three tests, the first test that we see here comes down to, uh, in verses 2 and 3, it comes down to examining what they believe about Jesus. We need to examine what they believe about Jesus. Friends, if you want to know where a teacher or a church or a movement is where they stand before God, the number one litmus test for authenticity always comes down to what do they do with Jesus? What do they say about Jesus? What do they believe about Jesus? And that's what John starts out with here in verse 2 by saying, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. That's how you know who is of the Spirit of God. Then he says, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Right? It comes down to what they confess. It comes down to what they believe, meaning that what they say and, and teach about the nature of Jesus Christ. And according to John, it comes down to two very distinct and essential qualities that must be believed about Jesus. That number one, as we see here, we have to believe that he has come in the flesh. We have to believe that he was truly human. We need to believe that he truly became a man in his incarnation. But then also with that, number two, we need to believe that he is from God. We need to believe that he is the very son of God, that he is God. Friends, there is a reason that the earliest major confessions and doctrines of the faith spilled so much ink over the topic of the humanity and the deity of Jesus Christ. And that it is precisely because everything weighs on what you do with Jesus. And so as we read this, we can see that there, there is an implied issue that is being revealed here by John. That as John highlights the primary doctrine of humanity and the deity of Jesus Christ right here in the text, that this was likely the massive problem with those false teachers, the thing that they were getting wrong that this is where the false teachers had infected and harmed their church, that it came down to an extremely faulty view of Jesus Christ. That not only were they teaching a faulty view of their sin, as we've already studied, but they were also teaching a false view of the Christ. And as historians and scholars have studied this as well and, and know the history and the background and all those kinds of things, uh, they believe that this uh, was a part of the Gnostic movement at that time or the Docetist movement or philosophy at that time. 
and that they had dangerous errors that they were teaching, and that in that, they, the espousing of the false gospel that they were sharing all revolved around a false idea of, from, of Jesus Christ, that they were believing that he was either only just a man or that he was only God and that he couldn't be both at once. That matter was evil, but spirit was good, and that you couldn't mix the two. But friends, that's, that's where they got it all wrong. And that's where they proved their lethal unorthodoxy. Well, friends, to believe in the real Jesus is to believe that he is both human and divine. Not that he can only just be one or the other, that he can only be in one mode or the other. It's not even that we can believe that he is 50% man or 50% God. The true understanding of Jesus is that he is both 100% man and 100% God. This all falls within the theology of, of what we call the hypostatic union. That Jesus has always existed eternally as the very son of God and God himself, but yet as he came to earth to be born of a virgin, to be born in the likeness of man, he put on the flesh of mankind as he was made like us in every respect, Hebrews 2.17, and he came to identify with us in our humanity, but also he, he lived a life divinely for our righteousness. That as Jesus Christ was absolutely sinless, he was the God-man who came to live righteously for us, but then also to die in our place. And as he, in his humanity, suffered the scorn and suffered the shame and then suffered our death that we deserved, yet he, in his deity, faced the infinite justice of God the Father as the Father forsook him and poured out his eternal wrath Upon him, the wrath of God for us, the, the hell of God for us, and that it is only by a divine, pure, perfect God-man that, that that wrath could be absorbed, that that, that that punishment and that sin could be forgiven in order to save sinners like you and like me. And so it's so essential to know that Jesus has to be both 100% God and 100% man. And so, friends, to question either Christ's nature as either just man or just God is extremely important to decipher. And so what others are doing with the person of Jesus can mean the difference between an authentic or a counterfeit faith. And so it, it comes down to not only just intellectually confessing that he is both God and man, but also those crucial implications of a false view of these things which would then either affirm or deny the true gospel. And so as John says, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, he's speaking about how, if we are testing the spirit, the true spirit, the Holy Spirit, we are testing those who are truly indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And that if they are truly indwelled by the Holy Spirit, they are going to confess the full picture of who Jesus Christ is. That's what the Holy Spirit does within us. He's always pointing to Jesus Christ. He's always revealing the true deity and humanity of Jesus Christ. This is similar to what Paul says about Christ's lordship and the Spirit's work in that. In 1 Corinthians 12, 3, 
Paul writes, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So friends, the spirit of God is the spirit of truth and will always testify to the very truth of Jesus Christ. And so John is really hammering home that we need to have the right Jesus. We need to understand the biblical Jesus. And this is a hard and fast dividing line between those who are of the spirit of God and those who are not. As he says in verse 3, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. In fact, where he says it comes from is from utter evil itself. As he says, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. Meaning that if you don't confess that Jesus is the God-man, come in the flesh, and God himself, that this kind of teaching comes directly from hell. Teaching that this is, that, that, that comes from evil itself. And friends, isn't this so pervasive in the world right now? As I've mentioned in previous sermons, as we've already studied some of this content in chapter 2, uh, ground zero for identifying false teaching most often targets the person of Christ. As John Calvin said, as Christ is the end of the law and the gospel and has within himself all the treasures of wisdom and understanding, so also is he the mark at which all heretics aim and direct their arrows. For example, as we know, we know that there's false teaching. We know that there's counterfeit gospels. We know that there's even quasi-Christian cults out there that get Jesus wrong. For example, we know that the Mormons don't believe in the true deity of Jesus Christ. In fact, they outright deny the true deity of Jesus Christ. In knowing that, we can know for certain that they are not of the Spirit of God. As well as we know the Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe in the true deity of Jesus Christ, they too are not of the Spirit of God. Friends, these are not just other denominations that are out there that have a differing opinion about some secondary or tertiary issue. No, where they go so infinitely and egregiously wrong to their peril is when it comes down to what they do with Jesus. They've got the wrong Jesus. They've got a false Jesus. They don't believe he's big G God. Now on the flip side of that, there are also those who throughout church history, like the docetists, who didn't believe in the true humanity of Christ, that they believed they believed Christ's human body wasn't really a human body, that it was just an illusion, that it was just kind of a spiritual trick. They didn't believe in the right Jesus. Just like some other cultish offshoots of Christianity today who believe that the bodily of resurrection of Jesus Christ didn't really happen, that this was just some kind of a spiritual projection put on by God, that Jesus didn't really rise from the grave, that it just looked like it happened. And so in that, they are denying what is absolutely essential when it comes to knowing the true Jesus. In fact, in the teaching of Islam, although the Quran teaches that Jesus was a prophet, the Quran flatly denies that Jesus actually died on the cross, nor was he resurrected. So Friends, when it comes down to testing the spirits, to discerning who is authentic and who is not, it always comes down to what they believe about Jesus Christ. 
Now, we may all be aware of some of these major false religions out there, these counterfeit gospels, and maybe, maybe we're not so worried about them interfering with our faith or our church. But as God gives us the command here as well to not believe every spirit, but to test the spirits, we have to remember at all times that Satan is sneaky, Satan is cunning, right? That he masquerades around as an angel of light, that he's prowling around seeking someone to devour, and that what he does can often look close to what we believe, but under that skin of the truth, what you're going to find is hidden the lies. And so we always need to be ready to test the spirits, meaning that we test the spirit behind the teaching. We, we need to be faithfully suspicious. As John says, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Friends, we do not have the freedom to be passive in this. We need to be active in this. We need to be on guard. We need to be watching out. That's why Jesus said that over and over before he left. Be on guard. Be awake. Be watching. Because he said, for many false prophets have gone out into this world. And so friends, on our part, that means we need to be listening carefully. We need to be listening carefully for error. We need to be training our spiritual ears and hearts to detect those things like the humanity of Christ and the deity of Christ and and many other things. But especially when it comes down to what they say about Jesus. So how does that apply? Whether whether a friend has sent you a podcast to listen to about some new and popular spiritual leader, maybe some kind of an influential teacher that has a voice, maybe they really like this person. Friends, we need to be really careful with that. That as many antichrists and false teachers are out there, you can't just take anybody's word for it. You can't just readily trust that everything called Christian is good and godly just because somebody says it is. You can't just trust what you find within the religion and spirituality section in the bookstore. I mean, I was in Indigo the other day, and I took a look at the spirituality section, and what was there was horrendous. Barely a sound book, and barely a Bible to be seen. I mean, you can't even just blindly trust a Christian bookstore anymore, if you can find one. You can't even trust the Christian bookstores online. Uh, The other day I was shopping on christianbook.com and although I can find lots of good solid resources uh, there for sure, there is a lot of junk. And there's dangerous stuff there as well. But friends, junk theology sells. That's why you see it. This also means that you can't trust what is posted on Spotify or Apple on their podcast channels. You can't just passively trust in what is supposed to be Christian television. No, friends, like the Bereans in Acts 17, we need to be like the Bereans who examined their teaching to see whether or not it was so, right? As as they were even checking on Paul's teaching, they went back to the scriptures to see if it was so. And so, friends, we need to be a discerning people. We need to do our due diligence In a world that is so full of false teaching today, we need to be on guard. And as you do, we need to especially examine what they are saying, what they are believing about Jesus. F.F. Bruce says, no matter how charming, how plausible, 
how eloquent the prophets in question may be, the test of their witness to Christ and his truth is the test by which they must be judged. And so, examine what they believe about Jesus, which upon examination, as we're moving on to the second point here, really has to do with where they're grounding themselves, where they're getting their authority, which is point number two from verses four to five. That if we are to discern between spiritual truth and spiritual error, we must inspect where they ground their authority. Verse four says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world. And the world listens to them. Friends, along with examining what they believe about Jesus, we must also inspect where they ground their authority. As John calls his church his beloved in verse 1, here we see him calling his church his little children. What he's doing is reiterating his affections for them, his, his love for them, his concern for them, his care for them, because he loves them. And just as he loves them as he would love his own child, he wants to protect them. And so he calls them little children here in the start of verse 4, reminding them that he loves them. And then even more than that, he goes on to remind them that they are the children of God. As he says, you are from God. You are from God. That just as he wanted them to have the confidence and assurance last week in chapter 3, he reiterates this again, that they belong to God. They are the authentic ones. And that in all of that, he says that they have overcome them. Overcome who? Well, as verse 3 reveals, it's that they have overcome the spirit of Antichrist. Right? Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. As he says, this is the spirit of the Antichrist. So those who are his children in Christ have overcome the spirit of the Antichrist. And how exactly did, he, did they overcome them? Right? Was it in their own power? Was it in their own strength? Was it in their own wisdom? No, if you go on to look, what does it say here in verse 4? It says, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So who is that? Who is the he who is in you? Well, that would be God the Spirit. God the Spirit from verse 2. God the Spirit from last week. He who is in the world is the Spirit of the Antichrist, but we have the one who is greater who is within us. And so John juxtaposes the Holy Spirit within with the Antichrist spirit without. And what he has to say about them both is that the Holy Spirit within is greater. That the reason that you have overcome the spirit of evil, the spirit of error, is precisely because you have God living within you, God tabernacling within you, God dwelling within you. And that in that, he is the one who is greater. He is that same God from last week who is greater than your condemning heart. He is the same God who is greater than all powers and all persuasion of all evil that we could ever face in this world. And that as he is in us 
and we are in God. We are inseparably strong and invincible to all evil because of his very presence in us. Just as Paul rhetorically asked the question in Romans 8, 35, and then 37 and 39, where he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, he says, that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world, and that is the absolute truth to take to the bank that is the absolute promise that if you are a Christian, you have the infinite, all-powerful Spirit of God within you. That even as we think back to the Genesis 1 and, and, and God the Spirit hovering over the waters, the same God who spoke it all into existence now dwells within you. That's how we overcome the spirit of the Antichrist. And then in that, we don't fear evil. We don't fear Satan. We don't fear demons. We don't fear Antichrist or anything else or enemies in creation. Because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Friends, that is our strength. That is how we overcome. That is our foundation. So that is where we're from. We are from God. And because we are from God, that is our foundation that is our source. Now, for those who are not of God and those who are specifically the ones who are uh, of the one who is of the world, verse 5 says, they are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens, the world listens to them. And so what John is highlighting here is the reality of their source, the reality of their foundation, the reality of their authority. And we see this repeated over and over here in the text, that they're in the world, that they're from the world, that they speak from the world. And in that, the world listens to them. That's a lot of world going on there. And biblically speaking, that is not good. No, because just as Jesus said, his kingdom is not of this world. His people are also not of this world. As he said in John 17, 16, they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. No, friends, our source, our foundation, our authority is not found here on earth, but it is found in the courtrooms of heaven. It is found in God himself. But for those who are of the spirit of error and antichrist, their foundation of authority is found in the world of the world. They speak from the world. And the world listens to them. And so this second test is all about the foundation of their authority. And as John instructs us to test every spirit, this second test is about inspecting where they ground that authority, where they source that authority. Now, for the false teachers in John's time, 
John could say with certainty that they were grounding their authority in the world as they were allowing, as they were welcoming pagan beliefs into the church, as they were allowing empty philosophies to invade the church, and then how they were mixing these ideologies into the biblical doctrine, which then resulted in a faulty view of Jesus, therefore a faulty gospel. So friends, as the church, though, is from God, its foundation is God. And if the church's foundation is God, the church's authority is in God and in God alone, not the things of this world. That means it's not in the ideas of this world. It's not in the philosophies of this world, but it is found in God himself. But as we know that the Antichrist, the spirit of the Antichrist is alive and well today, what's extremely concerning for the church today is how much the authority of God is being replaced by the authority of the world. As the ideas and the concepts and the philosophies of this world have been steadily being peppered into the church over the years, as it's been mixing into the foundation of far too many churches today. I mean, if you think about, if you think about the social movements and the progressive ideologies throughout the years, those things that the church once rejected so boldly, but they are now fully accepting we can see very clearly that the trajectory of the big tent faith is not holding fast to God's authority alone, but rather they are running hard and fast towards worldly authority. If you want some examples, we can talk about the sexual revolution in the 60s and, and, and feminism that really started to take hold in the 60s. It wasn't very long before it took a foothold in the church. It started out small and quiet as people started to question the roles of men and women in the home. But then as the years rolled on, these worldly concepts then began to question the leadership of those within the church. And then they resulted in choosing different kinds of leaders of different genders in absolute contradiction to God's design, which today, friends, has just gone completely off the rails in, in many churches and denominations to the point that major denominations right here in Canada are changing their stance on biblical inerrancy as they're opening wide the doors to all these concepts. Again, in direct violation of God's word. And as they also have moved towards uh, uh, allowing and promoting that leadership in the church is not to be by uh, biblically uh, qualified uh, men. This has moved on to female elders and pastors to the point that even now in so many church movements and denominations, the LGBTQ movement is the next thing to get their hands all over it. I was going to share a picture with you today about how far this has gone and how completely insane it is, but I decided not to for decency's sake. But the picture that I saw this week was of a female pastor opening up her pulpit to none other than a demonically dressed drag queen. Standing in front of this so-called church, lewdly sharing whatever worldly fallen nonsense he had to share to the church and in front of church, uh, people of families and children. 
that as much as those who were criticized for predicting that this would be the likely outcome, friends, it is here today in all of its foul and disturbing glory. Mark my words, so many churches and denominations are going this way so hard and fast that one day there is going to be very few churches who push back against this nonsense, this evil, to the point that we will be getting jailed. Friends, that's what inevitably happens when we don't ground our authority in God, but we ground our authority in the world. As the text says, though, they are in the world, they are of the world, and speak from the world. And so we have to be so careful as we're listening to what they're teaching, as we see what they're doing, as we, as we hear teaching as well, coming into uh, our church or our ears, what we're listening to. There's all kinds of worldly concepts and ideologies being mashed into the foundation and practices of the church. I mean, we have all kinds of pragmatic practices, practices that come from the business world, promoting the church in order just to get worldly results, that it's all about the hype, it's all about the flash, just so that we can get a return on numbers. We've got the pressure of the compromising world squeezing in and trying to conform the church to the world rather than the church conforming to Christ. We've got secular psychology, psychiatry, which is ultimately grounded in humanistic, atheistic naturalism being embraced in the church today and being embraced as either equal or even more authoritative than the power of Scripture and the Holy Spirit. We've got Darwinian science today being espoused by more and more Christians where so-called science is now trumping revelation when it comes to, for example, our beginnings, teaching people that Genesis 1 really didn't happen the way that it says it does in Scripture. That it really wasn't six days, but rather millions of years. That Adam really wasn't the first man, but he's actually just a higher-ordered ape that arrived to a place where God could then use him. We've got anti-biblical societal movements Causes being pressed on all sides to the point that radical feminism, social justice, critical race theory, radical environmentalism, climate emergency, inclusivism is now pervading many churches and denominations to the point that these ideologies are being elevated to gospel imperatives, which is horrifically distorting and adulterating the real and true gospel. And friends, like we say, whenever you add anything to the gospel, what do you get? You get no gospel at all. And this is the ultimate outcome of letting the world speak into the church. Right? John says, they are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world. And friends, behind this is all evil. Behind this is Satan to the core. As John has been talking about Antichrist and Antichrist and false prophets and the spirit of error, the source of it all is the world. But who is behind the world, as Ephesians 2 says, is the prince of the power of the air. Satan is behind it all. And Satan is no slacker. No, as the scriptures describe him, he is cunning, he is crafty, and the world listens to him. And what he does is he sets his targets on the church that although he knows he cannot remove our salvation if we are truly Christians, he sure wants to tear down the witness of the church. He wants to tear down the name of the Christ. 
And so as they are from the world, they speak from the world. Therefore, friends, we need to be so much more discerning. Test the spirits, John says. Is it from God or is it from the world? And so you need to examine what they believe about Jesus. You need to inspect where they ground their authority, which then ultimately reflects how they approach the scriptures, which is where John goes next here in verse 6. As he says, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. And then he says, by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Friends, it all comes down to the Bible. And it always comes down to the Bible. Which is point number three. We need to analyze how they approach the Scriptures. Analyze how they approach the Scriptures. As John says, we are from God. He's not talking about the church now. But rather, he is speaking about himself. He is speaking about the apostles. How do I know that? We'll take a look at the way John uses his pronouns here. When he's speaking about the church in this section, he refers to them in the second person plural. He says, you know, in verse 2, you heard, in verse 3, you are, in verse 4. But as he gets to verse 6, what changes? He says, we are. He's using first person plural. And in doing so, what he's doing is speaking about himself and the apostles that those are the ones he's referring to. And that goes all the way back to the, the first chapter in the very first verse of the book of First John, where he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. He's talking about Christ's very 12 dis, uh, disciples, his apostles themselves, those who are his eyewitnesses, those who witnessed his resurrected life and those whom Jesus sent out and gave authority to speak the very words of God to the church in the first century. Those who were teaching and those who were followed in Acts. Right in Acts 2, you see that the people themselves, the church, devoted themselves to what? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They are those whom he empowered to write the holy scriptures that you and I have in our hands today. And as John says, whoever knows God listens to us. He's talking about the apostles. He's talking about their, their authority by the Holy Spirit. And ultimately, as we apply it, he's, they're talking about the scriptures. Whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. So the listening to the apostles back then speaks of hearing and obeying the apostles' words as the very words of God, as they were listening for their direction, as they are listening to their teaching, their doctrine, uh, reading their letters, hearing their letters, which we know was supernaturally written and contained within the canon of scriptures. And so, friends, it is the same for us today. As we read the Holy Scriptures, we are listening to the writing, especially the New Testament here, of the apostles, which is the holy words of God, written by the Spirit of God. Right? That 2 Peter 1.21 says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So as the Spirit of truth 
wrote the very words of truth. As we study that, that is where we find what we need to know and believe about Jesus. That is where we go to know where we find our true authority. It all comes down to how we approach the scriptures. Right? You can't know anything about Jesus apart from the Bible. You can't understand anything about God's authority apart from the very words of God themselves. And so if you listen to and obey what God has revealed through the word, the word friends, you're golden. You can understand his authority. You can know Jesus and you can be saved. John says, whoever knows God listens to us, listens to their testimony, listens to their writing. But if you do not listen to the apostles, if you do not heed to the scriptures as the very word of God, it is not going to go well for you, as it was not going to go well for them. It's not going to go well for those churches with the false spiritual leaders and teachers that don't listen and obey the very holy word of God. As John says, whoever is not from God does not listen to us. Friends, it is those with the spirit of error that remain in their error to their peril. And as much as we can see the error people make when it comes to the person of Christ, and as much as we can see the error they make when it comes to where they ground their authority, where they they source their authority, again, it all comes down to the fundamental error in how they approach the very word of God. And to that, John says, by this, by this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So friends, that book in your hand is a powerful book. The book in your hand is the very words of God. The book in your hand is the authority, the spirit given authority of God, his will, his way. And so how you treat that means everything. And so when we need to discern between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error, we need to analyze how the word of God is being approached, how it is being treated, how it's being understood. We need to listen closely to what those voices are saying. It is, a, is it the word of God that you're hearing from so-and-so, such and such a teacher, or is it someone else, something else? Listen to the way they reference the word of God. Listen to the way they talk about the word of God. Is it their authority? Is it sufficient? Is it inerrant? Or are they just trusting in their opinions and their ideas? Are they, as 2 Timothy 2.15 says, that we are to present ourselves to God as people who are approved? We are to be workers who need not be ashamed, to be rightly handling the word of truth. What John would say to that is, by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And so we're given three tests. These are three tests to be put in in your back pocket. Think of it like like a tool bag or a tool chest. These are tests we need to have at the ready, and it all begins with examining. It all begins with inspecting. It all comes down to analyzing, and we do this all the time, testing the spirits. We need to ask the questions within our investigation. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us, By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So friends, as we walk forward as a church, as we walk forward in the faith, we need to have authentic discernment. But the beauty is is that John says we can know. We can know the difference between the spirit of truth 
and the spirit of error. As John's church was going through such a recent painful split, as they would have been sheepish and nervous as to who they are now to trust, who to listen to, who they should follow, the Holy Spirit gives them the tools. Three very vital, crucial tools for us to determine who is of God, who is of not. The spirit of error or the spirit of truth. And so as we walk forward together, let's use those tools. Again, examine what they believe about Jesus, inspect where they ground their authority, and analyze how they approach the scriptures. And so even next week, as we gather as a church to celebrate five years, five years together of what the Lord has been doing here, all the more we need to continue to be practicing authentic discernment so that that authentic gospel continue to go out in power and lives can be changed as we hold fast to what God has for us. Amen? Let's, let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you do not leave us in our darkness. You don't, you don't leave us grasping in the air, trying to figure it out all by ourselves, but that you, by your spirit, by your word, knows exactly what we need. That as last week we were studying how much we needed this authentic encouragement and assurance that we are truly the children of God, that it is the children of God who must also practice authentic discernment for our own health, for our own spiritual health and the health of our church. Lord, we want to be found faithful when you return. And we know that if we hold fast to what you have for us in your word by your spirit, that we will be found authentic. And it is all by your doing. We don't boast in that in our own, of ourselves, but only in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so we pray that now as we come again to worship you, that you would receive our worship and you would make glad the heart those who follow you. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.